girls are getting faster and stronger, the game is getting played faster, and so there, those accidents are more severe. There have also been a lot of rule changes that are evolving the game as well. For example, on the NCAA level, there will now be a shot clock. So the game is really evolving, and because of that, there's a higher demand for additional equipment. This is Jenna Belly with Cascade Lacrosse, category manager for women's lacrosse and also a former collegiate athlete from Tufts University. And you're listening to Heads and Tails Podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Salm, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life, but you can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week we're interviewing Jenna Abelli. She's the category manager for women's lacrosse at Cascade, which is a leading helmet manufacturer in the sport of lacrosse. And she's also a former women's lacrosse player at Tufts University. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the new Cascade LX helmet. It's a helmet designed for uh, the women's game. And I'm definitely interested to see you know, how that all came about and uh, also about Jenna's experience as an athlete. Um, so Jenna, can you start off by talking about some head injuries or any kind of injuries that you had during your lacrosse career? I didn't um, suffer any head injuries during my lacrosse career. I did witness some of my teammates um, get impacted in the head um, by checks on, on a frequent basis, but no, I didn't suffer any um, severe injuries myself. All right, so like, how do most concussions in the sport of women's lacrosse come about? Is it from getting hit with a ball, a stick, falling? Um, the, the head injuries are generally caused by a ball impact from a shot or an errant pass um, or coming from a stick check that is not done on point. So these are really accidental contacts um, as lacrosse, women's lacrosse is a non-contact sport. These are accidents that happen. However, because um, female athletes have been getting faster and stronger, the severity of those accidental impacts have really been increasing the, the type of injuries that are happening in women's lacrosse. All right. Um, so what are like the current guidelines for you know, goggle use in women's lacrosse? Like, are they mandatory? And like, how much do they cost? Uh, like, does everyone wear them or at all age levels? In the U.S., in youth, uh, high school level, and the NCAA level, goggles are mandatory. Uh, however, in the International Federation of Lacrosse, they are optional for international play. Um, goggles were mandated back, I think it was 2002, so ever since then, they've been a mandatory piece of equipment, and they're really aiming to prevent against an orbital fracture. And is that like a, was that a common injury before um, everyone started using the goggles? Um, it was definitely not a common injury, but I think they had a few instances of it, and of course, something like that can be devastating. So um, to prevent those from happening in the future, it, it was kind of a no-brainer. All right. Um, like, I'm sure you were playing lacrosse at this point in time. So, like, when you when the goggles were introduced, you know, what were your thoughts on? You know, is it like are, are these annoying or do they look cool or you know what were kind of your thoughts when when that was implemented? They were actually implemented in in my first year of lacrosse. So, as I was a young youth, I was pretty impressionable and 
when somebody explained to me why I need it, it just made sense. Um, but then going into high school, I remember a lot of the upperclassmen talking about how much they hated it and it was uncomfortable. Um, it was giving them bad tan lines. I mean, you name it, there was always an excuse of why they didn't want to wear it. Um, but this, is, this happens with everything. There's always hesitance to change. Um, I remember also when, when I was growing up, a lot of people didn't wear uh, ski helmets. And now I think most people would agree that they can't imagine skiing or snowboarding without a helmet. Um, but there is that type of transitional phase where there needs to be a little bit more acceptance in mindset in the market. Awesome. Um, so do you know why they never went to like helmets at that point in time? Like why didn't they just make helmets? Like why did they go to the goggles instead? Well, women's lacrosse rules um, are laid out in such that it is not a contact sport. So when you have proper coaching and officiating and everybody's following the rules, um, theoretically there should be no injuries. However, there are always accidents that are happening, and as girls are developing and the, the sport has evolved, um, girls are getting faster and stronger, the game is getting played faster, and so there, those accidents are more severe. There have also been a lot of rule changes um, that are evolving the game as well. Um, for example, on the NCAA level, there will now be a shot clock. Um, so the game is really evolving, and because of that, there's a higher demand for additional equipment. Um, now, it is an optional piece of equipment to start. Um, girls can choose if they would like to wear it or not um, because the rules are not a contact sport. Right, so it, it does make it. So the goggles are mandatory, but this helmet um, would not be mandatory, is what you're saying? Um, it is not mandatory right now. There are. Um, some programs or clubs across the country that are deciding to make it mandatory on their own. And then um, Florida State has chosen to mandate it at the high school level. You have three rulemaking bodies. So you have U.S. Lacrosse, which covers youth, um, NFHS, which covers the high school level of play, and NCAA. Um, however, all states have their own sport-specific committee within their state, and they also hold the right to make modifications to the rules as they see fit. So lacrosse administrators um, in Florida have decided to mandate headgear. Um, they actually did it about a couple of years ago, but this is the first year that there is a product available that meets the new um, ASTM standards. And what that standard does is it allows a higher um, performance requirement for the safety of the sport. So there are a lot of tests, tests um, involved in making sure that the products are protective and this is the first year that there is product available that meets that standard. Awesome. Um, so while we're on this topic, you know, what went into the design process? Like I'm going to put this up in the show notes, you know, for this particular episode because obviously People can't see what we're talking about right now. But the helmet looks a lot like a bicycle helmet from what I can see. And I'm just curious, like, how the design came about and, like, what influences from other sports maybe or other fields um, did, did that have on this, this particular design? We tried not to draw inspiration from other sports, um, as this is a very women-specific um, product and it is lacrosse specific. We tried to draw inspiration from a lot of the trends that are currently being used in women's lacrosse. 
and lacrosse in general. So we have a two-piece system that has um, a headband that, that goes around um, the circumference of the head. And the inspiration for that was that girls are always wearing headbands when they play and um, they, they're wearing the goggle around their circumference. So the idea was to kind of stay true to the aesthetics of women's lacrosse while incorporating some of the cascade DNA that we have on our men's side. So it was really fusing the two and making sure that we were getting player feedback, feedback and input on the aesthetics and how it fit how it functioned, and really make sure that we were delivering a product that was right for the female lacrosse player. I think that you guys did a, a good job and that you take it, take, took that into account that people or that the girls like the look of it, right? Because if you're talking about, you know, worrying about tan lines and stuff like that, like obviously they want it to look cool. If it doesn't look cool, no one's going to wear them anyway, right? So um, I think it looks cool. And I think I saw on your videos, which I'll include in this uh, podcast uh, show notes too, um, that there's a place for like team logos and team colors. So it's definitely a cool... Uh, accent i guess that that you guys are going with i also noticed that it has a soft shell right as opposed to like the traditional cascade lacrosse helmets for the men and like a football helmet but there's a a new company called vices that has this like soft shell um, football helmet that they're trying to introduce Um, i'm just curious where the idea for that soft shell came up for for you guys so the, the soft flexible shell comes directly from the ASTM standard. The ASTM standard has three main tests. The first test is a drop test that simulates a 45 mile an hour stick check. The second test um, is a 60 mile per hour ball impact. And the third test is a deformation test. So all products that um, are worn for women's lacrosse have to pass this deformation test, which is basically a drop test that goes over um, a metal rod and it has to deform on either side of that rod. And the original um, thinking behind this deformation test came directly from US Lacrosse and their rulemaking body. Um, if it's an optional piece of equipment, they didn't want to get into a hard headgear or helmet because if you do have an accidental contact with another player who chooses to not be protected, they wanted to make sure that. Um, that that helmet or headgear was deforming on impact and not creating um, a more significant injury for the other player. I know I didn't even like think of that, but that it makes a ton of sense, especially yeah, if it's optional. Um, you don't want to hurt other people or like turn it into a weapon. So, and that's kind of a good transition into kind of I wanted to know what you guys like during this process of design and you know creating a helmet for women's lacrosse, like what things were you guys thinking about of how it could change the game and you know make it safer or maybe less safe at times like what kind of uh ideas and you know brainstorming did you guys come up with you know in in terms of making this final product i think a lot of people's reaction um to having headgear in the women's game is to say that um girls are going to be more aggressive and What we saw is that, well, first of all, the rules aren't changing. So U.S. Lacrosse has also been implementing um, different initiatives to make sure that the coaching and the officiating improves and that we're making sure that girls follow the rule in parallel to implementing these new equipment changes. That being said, um, we did a ton of of field testing with girls of all ages, middle school, high school, and um, at the collegiate level. 
And what we saw was that once you're in the game, this piece of equipment is not drawing away your focus. You're going to play your game the way that you, that you always do. Um, and girls did not have a tendency to break the rules more and have a tendency to foul. Um, there were certain situations that we saw that um, maybe the girls had a little bit more confidence and were less timid, but in no means was that uh, more aggressive. So a good example would be if a girl is on attack and she's getting into a double team situation. Right. And you'll see if you if you watch women's lacrosse games that sometimes those girls are flinching and sort of cowering and um, kind of like, what do I do now? And with the headgear, they're not going to barrel through that double team, but they're going to confidently get out of it. Does that right. make sense? I, yeah, I mean, I could see, oh. I could see it going both ways, I guess, because you could say you have the helmet, so are you just going to try to like barrel through them? But you're saying the rules kind of prevent against that. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. All right, cool. Um, so why why not go with a full face mask? Is it the same kind of idea? You know, with the full try not face to mask hurt. is not allowed in women's lacrosse for a field player. It's against the rules. All right, so and that probably goes into the whole not trying to hurt other people who would choose not to wear the helmet, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, anybody um, outside of the goalie cannot wear a full face mask, um, probably for that, that purpose. All right. Um, so why do you think it's taken so long for a helmet to get introduced? We kind of talked earlier about the evolving rules. Um, so can you talk about any other like rules that are put in place for health and safety or making it a more intense or you know, in increasing the amount of you know, dangerous situations in the game? Um, I think it mainly comes down to the evolving athleticism in, in women's sports and how competitive it has got. Um, I would say when I was growing up, I played um, soccer, ice hockey, and lacrosse. And what you're seeing now in, in a lot of areas is kids are needing to focus on one sport rather than three um, in order to play really at a higher, more competitive level. And when you have kids playing one sport um, all three seasons or four seasons, um, they're really going to elevate that level of play. And that's when you start to see just the level of play get, get much, much faster and the girls are sh stronger. So that being said, when there are accidents, um, a lot of the times they are in areas where girls are still developing their skills, but they have that speed and agility. Right, like so they may not have, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they may not have the pro the um, proper skills refined to check and to always shoot um, the most accurate way. So that's where those um, accidents are occurring. So in parallel to the to the equipment, U.S. Lacrosse has done a good job on trying to ramp up both coach and official certifications and make sure that new rules and um, techniques are distributed. And that, and really focusing on the education there as well. Awesome. So I'm kind of interested on this idea of uh, sports specialization. Um, so did you play multiple sports while you were growing up and before you got to college, or is lacrosse pretty much the only sport you you played? So in in high school, I played three varsity sports. So I played lacrosse, ice hockey, and soccer. Um, and then lacrosse was was my one choice for playing collegiately. 
And back when um, we were doing the recruiting process, I remember I think I only played one summer of club lacrosse. Um, nowadays, you have kids starting out really young um, on the club level, um, especially in those hotbeds. Um, it's been going on for, for quite some time, but you really do see that type of sport specialization um, and that has developed the sport, but um, in some ways, it also hinders the growth of the sport a little bit. In what way, you think? Um, when you have kids needing to focus on one sport, per se, um, if you have a very athletic girl that's super into soccer um, and she wants to play soccer at the collegiate level, she may not be deciding to play lacrosse in the spring or oh, like, oh, gotcha, basketball gotcha. in the winter. Gotcha. Yeah, so they're... Yeah, sacrificing it. Yeah, it doesn't. It goes both ways. What you're saying. Um, yeah. All right. So, what about like legal implications? You know, now that it's 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 an optional piece of equipment. Like, does that put in? I don't know. I, I'm just thinking, like, you know, say someone does get hurt, you know, by butting heads with someone with a helmet. You know, like, what kind of legal implications are there for you know coaches trying to teach players not to like use their helmet and stuff like that. Just like, I'm just thinking about like football, you know, how football coaches are held accountable for teaching the proper mechanics and techniques and stuff like that. I think you, you'll see that less in lacrosse. Um, there's only been, there's been very few incidences of real, like pure aggression against the rules. Uh, most of the time it's accidental. Um, and if a coach does see that inclination of a player to get close, too close to fouling, um, it is their duty to make sure that they're teaching the appropriate technique. I'm not sure that we have uh, an issue with liability um, in terms of breaking the rules in women's lacrosse just yet, um, but it will be very important for coaches and um, officials to make sure that they're educating properly on what this product is designed to do. Um, it's not designed to function the same way as a men's helmet or a football helmet. Um, those are really to prevent um, severe injuries such as skull fractures and death. Um, and they have a lot more rigorous test procedures. Really, the headgear is specifically designed for the forces associated with women's lacrosse. So that 45 mile an hour stick swing and 60 mile per hour ball impact and the threshold of the forces needs to be reduced by a certain amount. So those forces are what go, goes into um, any type of head injury, such as a concussion. That okay. being said, no helmet or headgear can prevent a concussion, but what, what these products are designed to do is reduce the forces that could result in the injury in the hope that reducing the forces could um, results in, in a lower risk for that injury, but it does by no means um, can prevent it completely. Uh, before we start to wrap up the interview, let's go back to like the design of the helmet and like what's some of the feedback that you've been getting so far from uh, the girls who are trying this out, and also um, like I know you like there's a ponytail spot. Like what other you know cool aspects that uh, do you want to highlight about the helmet? So our product is an integrated system. Uh, what that means is it's a goggle and a headgear attached. We felt that this made the user experience much better for the player. 
Um, they're going to get be able to get easier on and off the field compared to a two-piece system. It's also going to make um, it a lot more comfortable. And I think in, in a lot of our focus groups and feedback sessions, a lot of girls stop noticing it's, that it's there because the idea was to make it a seamless transition from the goggles to a headgear if a girl chooses to wear that. And really a lot of the heritage of the women's sport and how the goggles function. Um, that was really important as part of our design. So the fit system is very similar to goggles where you have a back adjustable strap and then you can dial in the fit um, with interchangeable cheek pads. So that was definitely um, as a result of feedback with girls along with the different hair options that was super important to, to be able to express themselves. Um, and then the idea of the soft shell, there are a lot of different ways to solve this standard, um, those impacts, and we felt like using a soft shell on the outside would be great because it allows girls the opportunity for that team customization that has been seen in several men's sports, men's lacrosse and, and football, and really to have that area to customize and personalize was really exciting for the girls. Cool. Yeah, I come from a, an equipment background, so I, I appreciate the aesthetics of, of the game too. Um, so what, was there anything that you guys like originally designed that based off of feedback that you got, you, you changed? So way, way back, I would say about three years ago, um, before the standard was even approved, we looked at a ton of different designs um, and we did sort of draw inspiration from other sports. So we had some original designs that were pretty wacky compared to our final product today. Um, but really looking at how it could function, what materials would be used, what it would look like, we had a ton of different designs. Um, and through that player feedback, we were really able to narrow down what girls wanted in terms of aesthetics and um, function. And I think that process is super important and it's really iterative and it's, it's still going on. So we're still field testing, we're still getting feedback um, to make sure that we're always putting the end consumer into our products for the future. Awesome. What kind of engineers were like submitting designs for the helmet? This project was really a team effort. We have um, a big team of designers and engineers um, up in our Liverpool, New York facility. Uh, that's also where we assemble all of our headgear and helmets. And those guys really work together to think outside the box. As this is a new category, you can have apples and oranges hitting the market. Um, but it was important for us that every step of the way, we were having girls come into that facility and give us feedback and going back to the drawing board when we needed to. Um, so it was really a collaborative effort um, for the design team. Um, so in, is it, this, this piece of equipment is optional now, but do you guys foresee this becoming a mandatory piece of equipment going forward? Well, we're already starting to see um, interest in pockets across the country in using this, whether it's a team or a program or the state, um, as in the case of Florida. And what you'll see is the product will just be more accepted in the market. And at some point, we do expect there to be a tipping point, um, whether it's on the, the youth or the high school level, as uh, parents are definitely more concerned at that level. And 
athletic directors and coaches also have that concern to keep their um, players protected on the field. So at some point there may be a tipping point um, for a nationwide discussion, uh, but there's no discussion right now um, with any of the rulemaking bodies to address a nationwide mandate. Okay, so have you guys thought about how to prevent, so say, you know, it does become mandatory to wear um, the Cascade LX helmet. You know, how do you guys prevent that from being, because that's, how much is it? Uh, um, it's one one fifty. Right, so, you know, one fifty. that could be a lot of money for some families. So how do you keep that from being a barrier to participation? So right now, um, goggles can cost anywhere from about $40 to $120. Um, so if you think about that cost plus the cost um, of a piece of headgear, um, we think that our $149.99 price point is, is very reasonable. Um, there is one other competitor that has a headgear on the market and theirs is priced at $139. Um, however, theirs doesn't come with an integrated goggle. So really the $149.99 price point with the integrated goggle um, is an affordable option. And we really did take this into account um, throughout our development. We didn't want it to be a barrier entry. We, want, we are totally in favor of growing the game and making sure um, that the female player is protected in doing so. Okay, so before we, we close out, what was your transition to life after lacrosse? Like, what, it, what, it, what was it like? Because on, on the podcast, we talk about this subject a lot. It's something that I struggle with. And obviously, you have a passion for the game or else you probably wouldn't be working where you're at. So I'm just curious kind of, you know, how you ended up in your current position. Sure. Um, so when I graduated from Tufts, I got a job as an engineer for Continental Tire in Germany. So I moved to Germany for about four years working as a tire developer for them. And while I was there, I did have the opportunity to play um, for one of the German club teams for a year. Um, so that was really cool to be a part of the sport in another country and also be able to share some of my knowledge and experience um, from playing in the US. Um, then ultimately, I, I definitely missed my family and friends back in the U.S., so although it was a fantastic experience living and working in Germany, um, I did decide to, to come back to the U.S. Um, however, from my experience really working on product development um, in the automotive industry, I got pretty hooked on, on just the product development process, and um, when I was coming back, really thought about, well, what would be the ideal product for me to work on? And coming from my lacrosse background um, in college, it was definitely sort of landing a dream job and being able to work on um, the product itself, but also um, in the sport that I love. Cool. Um, so where do you hope the impact of this helmet has on the, women, on the women's game? Um, I, I would hope that we are delivering a product that allows girls to feel more confident um, on the field. And if they do choose or do not choose to wear it, we just, I just wanna make sure that the product is, is right for them and that it's specifically designed for players, by players, and um, that they have a great user experience with the product. 
Well, awesome. I mean, I've heard tons of stories of, you know, of athletes, especially, you know, women's lacrosse players who do suffer from concussions and post-concussion syndrome for a long time. And I think this, it's a, a great product and a great way to make the sport safer and to, you know, help the game evolve, like, like, you, like you said, um, in, in a safe manner so more and more girls can have access to the game. Um, so, Jen, I, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, do the interview and um, I'm looking forward to seeing what, what impact this has on the, the upcoming lacrosse season. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks, Jenna.